you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. song I feel the emotion rise up, rising up in me just considering that the God of all the universe loved us so much and loved the plan of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son from all eternity that he would come and die 
on a cross and pay the penalty for our sins to reconcile us to the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It's so great to be with you and with the few that are here today. It just makes my heart long for us to gather again together as the body of Christ here at Emmanuel. But for now, again, we're thankful for this platform where we can come to you via YouTube and Facebook and share the word and share worship together. I guess that we could paraphrase Matthew 18, 20, which says, wherever two or more are gathered together, there I am in the midst. In this time, and say something like, wherever two or more are gathered on a social network platform together, or YouTube together, there I am in the midst, because he is in the midst. He's in the midst of us here. He's in the midst of your living room or wherever you're watching this live stream, and we're thankful for that. God is good. Hallelujah. One other thing we want to do is recognize a birthday today of one of the people who are here. He's already sitting back here, but Rick Walls, happy birthday, brother. 39, 40. That's how old I am, too. And he shares a birthday with my son-in-law and Michael Gurton's son, Caleb. So I don't know if Caleb's watching, but happy birthday. We already told him anyway. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to be able to share the word this morning. Um, A sure way to start a lively conversation or a debate in a gathering of any kind, you know, whether it's with friends or family or co-workers, is to make a statement sort of like one of the following. Uh, I think that the best quarterback to ever play in the NFL was Peyton Manning. I heard a groan over here to my left. Or I think the best film that was ever made was Casablanca. Some of you probably have never even seen that, but you need to if you haven't. Or the greatest president who ever lived was Abraham Lincoln. Not all of these are my personal opinion. But my point here is that anytime we share a statement like that, That's what it is. It's an opinion. It's a personal judgment. And usually it's going to elicit a response like the groan I heard a moment ago or someone saying, you've got to be kidding. Peyton Manning, the best quarterback who ever played in the NFL, what about Tom Brady? There's a right back here from a Patriots fan, maybe now a uh, Tampa Bay fan or wherever he's going to. Or what about someone who's older than me maybe or my age? Johnny Unitas, you never saw him play. Well, it's nothing but a subjective opinion. Whatever we say about someone or something, that's what it is. It's an opinion. But when the Word of God says something, when God says something about someone in Scripture, it's not an opinion. You see, because God doesn't have opinions. He is always right. He speaks truth. In the books of 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings and also in the book of Isaiah, we 
read about a king about whom God says this, Among all the kings of Judah, there was none like him, not before or after him. He was a king among kings. He was a king among kings. And his name is Hezekiah. For those of you who may be a little sketchy on Israel's monarchy history, let me just give a brief synopsis. Saul was the first king in Israel's history, appointed by Samuel at God's request or God's word. But he failed in his obedience to God, and so he lost his throne. That gave rise to David, the son of Jesse. King David was one of the greatest kings, or the greatest king in Israel's history. God said of him that he was a man after his own heart, and he was the king against whom all the other kings in the history of Israel and Judah were measured. David's son Solomon succeeded him on the throne, and about him God said that he was the wisest of all men in all the earth. So during the reign of David and Solomon, Israel enjoyed what could be called the golden age of Israel's history. But following Solomon's reign, his son Rehoboam, under his son Rehoboam, the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, also known as Samaria, the capital city, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And there were a line of kings that ruled over both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom for many, many years. And scripture says this about all the kings in Israel's or the northern kingdom's history. They were all evil, every one of them. Judah was a slightly different story. Most of those kings were evil, but there were some among them who were good kings, who followed the Lord, who followed the ways of their father David. And among those kings was Hezekiah. We're going to be looking at Hezekiah's life and reign over the next couple of weeks, and today I want to begin by looking at the first passage in which he is mentioned and what God says about him. Let's read from 2 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at the first through third verses, and then verse 5 through the first part of verse 7. 2 Kings 18, the scripture is going to be on your screen, or you can follow along in your Bible at home. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. Well, I'm reading verse 4, which I was going to skip over, but we'll go ahead and go right through that. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that, the Mo that Moses had made for until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Down to verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we ask that you would bring life to your word in these moments, Father, and enable us to understand it. Help us to see in Hezekiah's life the things that you commended him for and 
Lord, to seek after those things in our own lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We see what God thinks about Hezekiah. He says, as we noted, that he was a king among kings. He says that all the kings in the line of Judah, of all of them, Hezekiah essentially was the best. None before him or after him could compare with him. It was as if God was saying the words of a song from years ago, nobody does it better. Nobody does it half as good as you among all the kings of Judah. Why did he say that? Why does God speak that over Hezekiah? Well, this verse and the one following, verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, give us some insight there. It tells us why God said that and how it played out in his life. So as we begin, the first thing, 5, which we've read already, and it tells us that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah. Now, Hezekiah's father was Ahaz, also a king of Judah. And he was among the most wicked of all the kings of Judah. I want to read a passage from 2 Chronicles chapter 28. You don't have to turn to it, you can just listen. That speaks about Ahaz the king. We're going to read the first four verses to begin with. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burned his sons as an offering. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and he sacrificed and made offerings on high places and on the hills and under every green tree. And God gave Ahaz into the hands of his enemies. And when the Edomites invaded Judah, Ahaz turned not to the Lord God for help, but he turned to the king of the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrian king rather than helping him, turned on him. He came against him, causing more problems for Ahaz. We'll skip to the last part of chapter 28 of Second Chronicles, and it says, In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. And he gathered the vessels of the house of God, and he cut them in pieces, and he shut the doors of the house of the Lord, and he made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem, and in every city he made high places to offer offerings to other gods, provoking the Lord God. So against this backdrop, under this father, amazingly, Hezekiah grows into a man and a king who trusts in the Lord God. We see from the passage that it is this trust that causes God to declare him top of the line of the kings of Judah. The influence of God's prophet Isaiah likely played a role in Hezekiah's spiritual development. Isaiah ministered and prophesied during the reign of Ahaz and during the reign of Hezekiah and likely had an influence. God probably used Isaiah to help develop Hezekiah into the man that he became. God's sovereign hand was upon this young man. 
that, and it made him become who he became. Here's a man who, as a child, perhaps witnessed the sacrifice of his brothers. He witnessed the wickedness of his father's actions and deeds. And rather than being drawn to that, it drove him to the Lord God, to trust in the Lord. His father, like other wicked kings, trusted in the rulers of other nations and made alliances with other kings that ultimately came back to haunt them. But Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. Faith and trust are terms that are used often interchangeably, which is okay, but there is and can be a difference. The word, Hebrew word used here it is translated trust, bata means this, rely upon, be full of confidence. The theological word book of the Old Testament defines bata as trust in, feel safe, be confident, careless, not careless as we don't care at all, but we don't have care because we're supposed to cast those cares upon the Lord. That sense of well-being and security which results from having something or someone in whom to place confidence. Hezekiah certainly had faith in God in the same sense, say, that Abraham did. We're told in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Knowing that God is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's faith. That's a saving kind of faith, the kind of faith that we place in Jesus for our salvation. But Trust could be defined, I believe, as demonstration of faith. We'll see in the upcoming sermons how Hezekiah demonstrated that faith by undoing some of the things that his wicked father had done. You might say that faith is something that you have and trust is something that you do by demonstrating your faith. We'll see how Hezekiah demonstrated faith by virtue of not seeking the help of kings of other nations, but trusting God was more than able to provide and to protect and defend Judah. Ahaz, like other wicked kings, are the epitome of the first part of verse 7 of Psalm 20, which says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. He trusted in Assyria and in their power. Other kings did the same. And Hezekiah was the epitome of the latter part of that verse, which says, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Hezekiah also did not trust in his own strength or resources or cease trusting God in the face of the lies of his enemy, as, he, as we will see in the coming weeks. But instead, he cried out to the Lord in his distress. He trusted implicitly in God. In the midst of this pandemic, and I know you're thinking, oh no, not another pandemic illustration, but yeah, just one more from me, that promise, I won't do any others. But in the midst of this pandemic, have we trusted in him every day through all that we've gone through? When we've heard the bad reports, have we trusted in the Lord? When we've read about the rate of the spread of the virus and the mortality rate, have we given way to fear or have we trusted in the Lord? When we've been laid off, as some of us have been, some of you have been, 
Have we trusted? Are we trusting in God? When we've watched our retirement accounts dwindle, when we're we find ourselves wondering if all these conspiracies, theories that we've heard relating to this situation are true, do we give way to fear or are we trusting in the Lord? Not only in this time, but before. And will we afterward? Will we, do we or will we trust in the equivalent of chariots and horses, whatever that modern day equivalent is, or do we trust in God? Do we trust in the frail arm of the politicians and the government leaders who are only human and without fault? Or do we trust in the Lord our God? Do we, as the definition of this word says, rest confidently and carelessly in His sovereignty and faithfulness, knowing that He has us in the palm of His hand and nothing, nothing can come our way unless He allows us, allows it. He's sovereign. He has us in the palm of His hand. Does our trust in the Lord cause us to stand firm in the face of the enemy, adversity, and challenges? These are questions that we should ask ourselves. Like Hezekiah, we should heed the words of, of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. And be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. These words sum up Hezekiah's life. They may have been his life verses. He wasn't wise in his own eyes. He turned away from evil, and he trusted in God. If we find, or so that, so, so, what are we leaning on today? What are you leaning on today? Are you leaning on your own understanding and trying to navigate through life with your own compass? Is your hope and trust in someone or something else that's imperfect and subject to failure, or are you trusting in the Lord? Are you leaning on Jesus? Trusting in the Lord with all your heart means having an undivided heart. If we look at the life of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, those who did wickedly, who did wickedness, some of them still sacrificed to the Lord. They paid at least lip service to God, kept some form of religion that was uh, based in the law. But then they also sacrificed, as we saw Ahaz did, to false gods and false idols. They had divided hearts. God says... He wants an undivided heart. He says, worship me with all your heart. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. When we ask, our, ask ourselves these questions that I pose, if we find ourselves wanting, pray. Pray like the man in Mark 9, 24 who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And in a similar, similar way, pray, Lord, I trust, help me where I lack in trust. Build my trust in you based on what I, who I know you are and what I've seen you do. Don't lean on anything but the everlasting arms of God, the everlasting arms of Jesus. Like Hezekiah, trust in the Lord. 
The second thing I want to point out in this passage is in verse 6. And it says that Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. The ESV, which you're seeing on your screen, uses the word held fast. Other translations use the word clung to the Lord. In most of the Old Testament uses of this word, it implies an inseparable kind of relationship or bond. It's sort of like being glued together with something or someone. It's first used in Genesis 2.24, where after God creates woman and institutes marriage, he says, for this purpose, a man will leave his father and mother and cling, same word, or hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is the pinnacle of intimacy in human relationship, the husband-wife relationship. The word is used numerous times in the book of Deuteronomy, and one occurrence is Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 20, and it says this, God speaking to the Israelites, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. The word's also used in the book of Ruth, and if you aren't familiar with the book of Ruth, it is a story about a woman named Naomi who was a Jewish woman whose husband and two adult sons all die, and she is left with her two daughters-in-law who are Moabites, Orpah and Ruth. And she urges them to go back to their people. And Orpah does, but, Na uh, but Ruth refuses. And she says this, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She clung to Naomi. She would not let her go. Hezekiah experienced a close personal relationship with God. It was a relationship that would not be severed. The Despite the Israelites being told over and over again, as they were in this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 10, to cling to God, to serve Him only, and to keep His commandments, time and again they failed. By contrast, it says here in our passage in 2 Kings 18 that Hezekiah did exactly the opposite. A stark contrast. He followed hard after God. He served Him. He kept His commandments. He clung to the Lord. He held fast to Him. Like Ruth with Naomi, He would not depart from following God and kept His commandments. The kind of relationship that Hezekiah had and the kind of relationship we're speaking about is not a casual one. It's an intimate, close relationship. Proverbs 18.24 says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and there's that word again. It's a form of that word at least. Stick, cling, hold fast to. For those of us who are believers, Jesus is that friend. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He clung, held fast to the cross to pay the penalty for the forgiveness of our sins. If you aren't a follower of Jesus today, then I'd invite you to receive forgiveness and the gift of eternal life that He offers 
through his death and resurrection, and he will be that friend who sticks closer than a brother to you. He is that for us as believers. And he asks us to hold fast to him, to cling to him, to walk in obedience to him, and to never, never, never depart from following him. He wants more than a casual Sunday relationship. He wants our lives. He wants us to be in a deep and abiding relationship with Him. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, as He prayed to the Father right before His arrest, He prayed that all of us as believers would become one and that we would come into unity with Him and the Father, a oneness with them. I want to share a story that illustrates both my first point on trusting and this point on clinging to the Lord and holding fast to the Lord. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker who gained worldwide fame in 1859 by traversing the Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side. He was the first man to do that. Thanks to savvy marketing by his manager, Harry Colcord, tens of thousands of spectators gathered in June of 1859 to watch him perform this feat. Refreshments were sold, bets were made. Would he be successful or would he fall to his death? Well, he made it. He made it not only on that first day, but he made it multiple times over the course of that summer. And over the, the course of walking that tightrope, he did it with a wheelbarrow, he did it blindfolded, he did it backwards, and on one occasion he even stopped in the middle to cook an omelet. So in August of that summer, weeks after the first time that he performed the feat, Blondin walked across from the American to the Canadian side. And then to the amazement of the crowd that was gathered there on that day, he began his trek back with his manager, Harry Colcord, on his back. And as the crowd looked on with bated breath, Blondin carried Colcord safely to the other side. And it was later reported that Blondin said this to his manager as they began that trek across the tightrope. Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. Colcord did what others that summer were afraid to do. He offered to do the same thing with others. No one took him up on that offer. So he trusts, he, but, but, but Colcord trusted Blondin to successfully get him to the other side. And he clung to his friend, becoming one with him. He did not attempt to navigate himself, but allowed Blondin to do what only he could do. Hezekiah held fast to the Lord. God help us to do the same God help us to do what Colcord did with Blondin and hold fast to him. Hold so tightly to Jesus as we navigate through this life to where, to go where he leads, to stay where he tells us to stay, and to allow him to carry us through, through this life, to the other side. The final thing that I want to briefly touch on in this passage is in verse 7. And verse 7 says that 
the Lord was with him, with Hezekiah. Wherever he went out, he prospered. The writer of 2 Kings says that the Lord was with Hezekiah. This is significant in that it is said of only three other figures in the Old Testament that the Lord was with them. Abraham, King David, and Joseph. Abraham, the father of faith. David, the greatest king in Israel's history. And Joseph, the man who was sold into slavery and by God's grace and by his plan rose into authority in Egypt and saved the nation of Israel. This puts Hezekiah in some pretty exclusive company. It speaks again to the regard that God had for Hezekiah. He prospered him in more than one way. Yes, he blessed him with wealth, which we'll see in the coming passages. But it says that God prospered him also whenever he went out. And the rest of that verse speaks about going against the king of Assyria. So what it says is that when he went out in battle, when he went against his enemies, he was given success. Success. The NIV says he was successful in whatever he undertook. He prospered in the Lord. God's prosperity takes different forms. Perhaps wealth. Certainly we know that at the very least God will provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I believe what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if we seek first the kingdom of God that all the material things that we need will be added to us. I also believe that as we do that, as we develop a heart that seeks hard after God, that clings to Him and trusts in Him the way Hezekiah did, that He'll give us success in our going out and our coming in. He'll give us success and prosper us in our work, in our schooling, in our family, with our children, in any ministry that He gives us. As we stay close to Him, He will take up our fight against the enemy of our souls. He will make us victorious. God spoke through a prophet to one of Hezekiah's predecessors, namely Asa, also a king of Judah. Asa was a good king of Judah, but there were some exceptions. He acted foolishly and aligned himself with a pagan king, and he was rebuked for it. And the Lord said, when you relied on the Lord, he delivered your enemies into your hand. And then he said this, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God found such a man in Hezekiah. He strengthened this great king to do great acts of reform and restoration, which we'll see in the coming weeks, and to stand up to the enemies of Judah. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah's name means Yahweh strengthens, or God is my strength. Despite what I said in my introduction, I'll offer an opinion here and say that I think in Hezekiah, we're looking at one of the most underrated, if you will, figures in the Old Testament. A king among kings. 
the top of the line. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those in the pages of Scripture whose lives speak to us. For this King Hezekiah, a man whom you commended, a man who you said was like none other in the kings among the kings of Judah. And we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us and develop in us the kind of heart that he had for you and for serving you. Help us to walk in your ways, not looking to the left or right, but to follow hard after you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to share a closing song and then I'll come and make some final comments and a benediction.
are gathered together in the sanctuary at this juncture of the service is when we invite people to come forward for prayer. And that's the thing I miss the most, being able to minister to people, being able to pray with you, as all the elders and leaders do, I'm sure. But we're no more than a phone call away or a text to let us know that you need prayer. I hope the word spoken to you has, has spoken to your heart this morning. If you don't know Jesus and you're tuning in, as I said earlier, I invite you. I invite you to become part of his family, to become uh, a child of God, a, uh, a believer in him. He hung on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. It's nothing more than acknowledging that and saying, Lord, I need a Savior. Save me. Forgive me of my sins and cleanse me. Change my life. If you're in need of prayer, again, I'd urge you, give one of us a call. It doesn't have to be one of the elders or one of the deacons or leaders, but someone who you know will pray with you. We want to make ourselves available to you. God bless you all. Thank you for, for tuning in this morning. We look forward again to the same time, same place next week. And hopefully very soon, please pray that very soon we can gather down the hall in our beautiful sanctuary and rejoice and celebrate in the Lord together. Let's pray. I pray this benediction over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.